welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Last week, we kicked off a new series called uh, Exiles. And we said this is the question before us, especially in the Silicon Valley. How are followers of Jesus to live in the ever-turbulent 21st century? How are we to live in the midst of increased polarization, globalization, in the, in the age of AI, augmented reality, gene editing, what it means to be human? How are we to live in, a, in just a terrorism now culture worldwide, cyber attacks? Uh, but really, how are we to live in a country that is post-Christian, in an area that is anti-Christian, in this ever-turbulent 21st century. And actually, what we said last week is that God's answer to that question for you and for me is the book or the letter of 1 Peter. And so by way of review, this is what we said uh, about 1 Peter. First is the author, is the author, the Apostle Peter. He's writing from Rome. And we're going to spend the next, um, we were doing a six-week series teaching through this entire letter or book. And so he writes from Rome to these Gentile believers in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. That's the audience, these Gentile believers in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. Uh, and I actually have a map up here just so that you can see the map. And, and just so you can kind of picture it, Peter is up where that boot is in the left-hand corner. Uh, that's Italy, and he's writing from Rome to these churches that are scattered across modern-day Turkey, all these different cities. And so this was a circular letter, meaning that it's meant to circulate or be passed on from church to church. Uh, and the occasion for writing is that he's writing because they're experiencing widespread uh, persecution of followers of Jesus. Now, Peter's writing somewhere around AD uh, 63 to AD 65. Nero is the emperor at the time, and it's the first moment in the, for the early stages of the church where they experienced governmental persecution. Nero, in 64 AD, burned down parts of Rome so he could accomplish some building projects of his own and blamed the Christians, and then we had this governmental or global persecution of the church. And so the major theme for Peter as he's writing to these churches is simply this. Live as exiles uh, who possess a living hope that produces this holy or distinct or set-apart living. And last week we kicked off and talked about what does it look like to live as an exile? What does it look like to live as a, a temporary resident here, as a sojourner, as a citizen of heaven? And I think one of the parts of this uh, theme that might be challenging is live as exiles who possess a living hope. And I think this is one of the great tensions today in our world, isn't it? Because we so often have a hopeless society and outlook when we look at the world today. And the question is simply this, how do you have hope in a hopelessly broken world? You feel this. You live in this. Gen Z, you live under the weight of this. How do you have hope in a hopelessly broken world? I mean, it looks like our government's hopelessly broken. It looks like all governments and what's going on. Like, okay, our politicians, climate's broken. How do you have hope in a hopelessly broken world? And to bring it home, how do you have hope when your world's falling apart? 
when your family's falling apart, when, when that relationship's falling apart, when your marriage is crumbling and falling apart, when you feel hopeless and your kids are walking away from God, how do you have hope when you get the biopsy report and your health is falling apart? Now, when the Bible speaks of hope, it doesn't talk about it the same way we commonly talk about hope. The way we use the word hope is actually more synonymous with wish. I wish, you know, I, I hope today's a good day. I hope we have fun together. I hope I win the lottery, right? We use it in that regard, and hope is this very kind of nebulous wishing or wanting, this like, I hope it happens, but it probably won't. Biblically, hope is much more concrete than that. In fact, the biblical definition of hope is this. Hope is the confident expectation that you have a confidence and there's a set expectation based on that confidence and that information that a better tomorrow awaits. There's something ahead of you that you're moving towards, that you're confident that, that you can move through on. And so how do you possess a living hope uh, when the storms of life are swirling around? If you've got your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. Notice how the Apostle Peter opens his letter to these uh, Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. Now he says it this way. You ready for this? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What an opening, right? Man, you're, you're being persecuted, and would your first word be praise, right? In fact, just say that with me. Praise. One, two, three. Hey, that was pretty darn good. You were way better than the first service. Not to compare, but there we did. We did it anyways. Why don't we try it one more time? Praise. Want to go for it? Praise. Yeah. I, I mean, just think about that. These guys. <laughs> he's writing to these churches that are undergoing persecution, and he starts off, praise. Like, seriously? Seriously? You want me to praise who? The God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ. Why in the world would I praise? What do I have to praise? And then he gets really clear. Here is the reason we praise. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth or new life into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I don't care what you've got going on right now. You have something that you can praise in and praise through no matter what you're going through, is what he's saying. And he's looking back at this and going, in his great mercy, in God's mercy, his kindness to you, in his love and care for you, in, in him not giving you what you deserve, he has given you new birth. In fact, the Christian life, the way the New Testament authors described it, it was like the only way they could unpack it had to do with this idea of it's so transformational, so different, so radical, that it, it could only be a spiritual rebirth. That like something was born, something completely new began into a living hope. Now, where does this living hope come from? Did you notice in the text? Through the resurrection of Jesus. See, how do you possess a living hope? 
that can sustain the storms of life, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our hope. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our hope. Now, the resurrection is, is the most, uh, is the central event in Christianity. If you're not a follower of Jesus, um, you don't need to necessarily study the words and teaching of Jesus. I would encourage you because you would find someone uh, that would transform your thinking. But you need to examine a singular historic event. If this event did not happen, then this is a waste of time. This is meaningless. If this event did indeed happen, then it is the most important event in all of history. See, it's the resurrection, friends. If Jesus rose from the dead, then all that he said is true. Who he is is validated, and his promises are true. And so we no longer rest on something in the past. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior who said he will return one day for us, and he's active at work and will renew and restore all things. If he did not rise from the dead, don't waste your time. See, we as a church got to be way more a people, not just of the crucifixion, but of the resurrection. You know that there's five historical facts that scholars all agree on, whether they're theists, atheists, skeptic in between. One is that Jesus was a real person and died on a Roman cross. The second was that he was buried in a tomb. Everybody agrees on these historical facts. The third is that the tomb was empty. Now, there's lots of discussion about how the tomb got empty and lots of different explanations. The third is that the every, historical scholars all believe that the disciples really believed they saw the risen Lord. Now, there, there's all sorts of ways like, okay, did they? But they cannot help but say the disciples, they themselves really believed they saw the risen Lord, and you can't help but see the transformation of feeble followers into those who would give their life. Peter, who wrote this book 60, you know, 4 AD, would later die 67 AD for his faith, being crucified upside down because he did not count himself worthy to die the way his Lord and Savior died. Now, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our hope. We do not hope in an institution, in a religion, in a philosophy, or an organization. Our hope is in the person of Jesus. And so we have to wrestle with this. Do we embrace and are we leaning into a living hope versus a dying hope versus a fading hope? There are these tensions of, okay, if the resurrection is indeed true, then my point and my hope is found in Jesus alone, and yet we we move towards these fading hopes, hope in our marriage, hope in a family, hope in our job, hope in our success or possessions or education or appearance or health. These are things that when the storms of life hit, they, they cause us to be thrown and tossed because they do not sustain us through that. Now, Here's, let me just unpack hope just a little bit more for you for a second. 
A few years ago, I had the joy of getting to go to a Coldplay concert. Any Coldplay fans anymore? They're a band, by the way. Back in the day, for those who don't know, um, they were phenomenal. And I had a friend call me and go, hey, Ryan, um, I have Coldplay concerts that I can't go to. Would you like to go? I'm like, yeah. I mean, this is like four or five hours before the concert, and they had four tickets, and we called some friends, and we hopped in the car and got all ready. Biblical hope was this moment. I had a phone call. Hang with me. I had a phone call based on a trusted person that I know that their word is true, saying, I have tickets. He hands me tickets. I hold the tickets. My hope is to see the Coldplay concert in three hours later that night. And so I adjust all of my life, all that I have going on, to go to the Coldplay concert. I set aside the other things I was doing to go to that concert. I didn't show up and just go, I hope I get in. I hope somehow they'll let me in. Oh, maybe, maybe. I showed up with tickets, said, hello, here I am, let me in. Thank you very much. That's hope. Hope is the confidence That a better tomorrow awaits because you have a resurrected Savior who's living right now who said, I hold the keys of death and life. Don't miss it. And so you adjust your life based on the hope of Jesus. Okay, that's great, Ingram. Thank you very much. But what about my broken world? I'm in the middle of it right now. It's been a hard year. Notice what? Peter goes on to say, verse 6, says, In all this, you greatly rejoice. In all what? The reality of his grace and love, new life into a living hope. You are rejoicing, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You know, joy and suffering can actually go hand in hand. They're not opposites. Happiness and and suffering, well, those struggle, but you can have joy in the midst of the pain. He says, these have come so that that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, in the midst of the storms of your life, you have to get an eternal perspective. You have to get this eternal perspective of understanding there's more to the story than just your story going on. And there's a final story that is going to be written. And Jesus is making it all come together. And he will renew and restore all things. See, there's just deep challenge for us to gain either eternal perspective and live in this temporal perspective, right? See, an eternal perspective says this, life is short, eternity's long, so live like it. Like eternity, to be in the presence of God forever. This life is just a, a temporal perspective says, now is all there is, and so all my hope is found in, and you just fill in the blank of those fading hopes of health, possessions, education. See, With an eternal perspective, here's what Peter's saying, the trials in your life do not define your life. Have you ever been around someone who the trials of their life define them? 
and all they can talk about is the trials of their life, right? Or, or someone betrayed them, and it's 10 years later, and all they can talk about is that person that betrayed them. All they, the trials of their life define them. With an eternal perspective, he's saying, in light of what Christ has done and will do and his active working in you, the trials of your life do not define your life. What they will do is they will refine your faith. They will develop you. 2019 has been a really hard year for me. In fact, um, in my journal, you'll see this a couple times, um, not that you're going to read it, um, <laughs> but I've, I've literally written this in my journal, I don't know how many times, but a handful of times. I hate 2019. You ever had a year like that? Just like, I hate 2019. I cannot wait. I've written this many times. I cannot wait for 2019 to be over. 2020, hello, a new year. I can't wait. It's just been a hard year. It's just been like one thing after another. Went through a season of really dark depression. I've... I had, um, you know, many of you know this, I've told this part of it, but I've had my head hit three times, three concussions, broken nose, broken toe, like still my head doesn't quite work right. It's incredibly frustrating. We've had some different family things happen in my family that have been so heavy on my heart. I've actually been in the ER with every single family member of my own family. It's just been one thing after another. And I gotta tell you, I have struggled with an eternal perspective because in the midst of the trials, you know what I do? I begin to compare with everyone around me. And I'm, I'm hitting that midlife. I know I don't look it, but I am. I'm hitting that midlife. So I'm starting to have some of this midlife crisis like, man, I've not really made too much of myself. I'm, you know, I think about this like from a temporal perspective. I'm going looking around just within my own family, extended family. I'm like, I'm literally the poorest person in my family, you know? And I'm just going through it all. All of a sudden, I just start to compare. And then this word from God for me. Ryan, what's awaiting you? is worth whatever you're going through. Ryan, what's awaiting you? Don't you get, you can fix your eyes on stuff. You can fix your eyes on everything working out right. You can fix your eyes on all these things or what you do not possess. And that's what we do. We focus on what we do not possess. And he says, no, no, you possess a living hope because you have a resurrected Savior. Lift your eyes from there. And what's awaiting you ahead, this inheritance that he spoke of, is worth whatever you're going through. And here's what I found in my own life, friends, is I can't just get an eternal perspective. I have to fight for an eternal perspective. I mean, I just have to fight for it. It's like what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, 18, where he says, I consider that our present sufferings, our present trials, they're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Like, lift your eyes from what you're going through and where it is and just go, wow, God, you have something in store, and I can take it to the bank because you rose from the grave. Well, how do you get an eternal perspective? I love how Peter started out his, his letter, praise Worship is so powerful to ascribe worth, to get our eyes off ourselves, 
That's why this moment's so powerful for many of you to get in a room with other people and just to sing about who God is and go, that's right, you are our living hope. Personal worship, getting into God's word and allowing his word to speak to you, getting into a group and having other people in your life to encourage and bolster you. I've been with people and had this in my own experience that when I don't have faith, they're strong and faithful for me. And when they don't have faith, I get to be strong and faithful for them. And I just lean on my faith right now. You may not have the faith to make it through. Just lean on my faith. And God brings us through. That's why we're part of a community together. And for some, you're in a dark season. And and part of getting an eternal perspective is getting outside help. And this guy, different cultures look down upon this, but for some, you need to get, get a psychologist or a psychiatrist and, and get outside help to get and regain an eternal perspective. How do we possess a living hope uh, that can sustain us in the storms of life? The resurrection of Jesus is our foundation. Gain or fight for an eternal perspective. And then remember the incredible grace you have received. Remember the incredible grace grace. Don't forget it's grace. God's undeserved, unearned, you can't do anything to get it, and you can't do anything to undo it, grace for you. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care trying to find the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. I mean, think about it. What we're getting to experience with having the Spirit of God deposited inside of each one of us and the salvation and the grace poured out on us is something that the prophets long to look into and to experience. It says later, angels long to look into this. Remember the incredible grace you have received. By the way, in an age of entitlement, grace is the antidote. And millennials, you got a bad rep. You're not the entitlement generation. America is the entitlement country. We're all entitled. Entitlement says, I deserve, I should have, you owe me. And did you notice, he says, concerning this salvation... Like, I need saving. I can't do this on my own. I can't get through this. Would you save me the grace that appeared? Unearned, undeserved, couldn't do anything for it. It's just God lavishing his kindness, his favor, his working on you. And when you lift your eyes to an eternal perspective and go, wow, I am a recipient of his grace, it will transform the way you go through trials. Now, there's this two parts when we're talking about hope, because hope is not just simply an idea. Hope is something we practice. And so it's not just possessing a living hope of like, okay, I have hope, but it fleshes itself out in our daily life. This is where Peter then shifts. You see, because what you believe about the future will determine how you live in the present. Your fundamental belief about the future determines how you're currently living now. Another way to say it is how you spend your life reveals what your hope is set on. Like if you want to know, okay, 
Is my hope a living hope or dying hope? Just look at your time, your money, your energy, your resources. How you're spending your life reveals what your hope is set on. And so he's going to shift and say, we are to be people who practice or live out this hope. Notice what he says here. There's a perspective of what we need to do daily, of daily resetting your hope. Verse 13, be holy. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, minds that are alert or ready for action is literally what it means, to be ready to move, fully sober, meaning there's a mental clarity and understanding that we're not just being taken captive. We're not in a brain fog. I've been in a brain fog a lot this year. Uh, Set your hope on the grace to be brought you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. There is a setting, there is an action on my part of today. Okay, God, I'm going to set my hope on you. I'm not going to get pulled away, and we have to begin to go, okay, we have to daily reset our hope because we get pulled into all the different things, right? You're going like, my hope is in my education. I've been working so hard on this. My hope is that I meet the right guy or meet the right girl or that this relationship. My hope is that my kids fulfill me. These things are good things, but they become ultimate things and they pull us away. He says, no, reset your hope on him. Um, let me just ask you, where is your hope set right now? I mean, just this morning, no shame, nothing bad, just begin to evaluate. Okay, I have to daily set my hope. That's the reason we do that homework that's in the backside and this reading plan, that we would begin to be a people that, be, that renew our mind on God's word. See, exiles of eternity, we are not uh, going to get carried away by the culture around us. What we want to do is we want to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, as the author of Hebrews would say, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so practicing the living hope, we have to daily reset it. We have to just go, it's not a one and done. It's not like I heard a great sermon. It's not like, oh, cool, I had this moment. I recommitted my life. It's like, okay, today, Jesus, here's what I know. My heart is struggling. And I need to set, I want to set my hope and my confidence in you. Would you do that in me? And would you show me when it begins to drift? And then he talks about how we're to go about our day. He says this, walk in obedience. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Walk in obedience. Begin to pattern your life, adjust your life based on your hope. See how you're living, like we said, in the present is based on what you believe about the future. And so to be holy, by the way, isn't to work harder. It is to shift your hope. If your hope is on Jesus, and you literally, you will run towards him. You're like, I'm not getting it. Let me give you an illustration. Um, when my wife and I were dating, we dated a long distance. She was in uh, Cal Poly Slow. I was in Chicago at a school, Moody Bible Institute. Yes, that's a real name of a school. And we were dating long distance, you know, across the country. And then when she graduated, she moved to Sweden. So we're dating international. Now, this is going to be shocking for some. 
This was before the days of like Facebook and Instagram and FaceTime and any of those sort of things. In fact, I didn't own a cell phone. Is the days where you went to the computer lab to send emails because you didn't really own? I know this is sounding weird. I get it. Um, we wrote letters. It's when you get paper out and you write it and then you put, fold it up, put it in an envelope and then send it off. And it takes like weeks to get there, right? We sent packages. For an entire year, we dated long distance. And I remember my buddies just giving me the hardest time. They're like, Ryan, she's not real. Like, we've never seen her. We've never met her. She's made up. This is, you know. I was dating this girl that's in Sweden and I had the hope that she was going to return. And so how I lived in Chicago was framed by a hope of a girl in Sweden. So when I engaged and was talking about, like, you know, how I spent my time, it's like there's nights where I'd spend all night just talking on the phone with her. You know, we had a little prepaid phone card that I had to go, yes, okay, gosh. You have it so easy now. You have no idea. How, how, we, uh, how I hung out with girls, how, how I w- was engaging everything I did from my time, my energy, my money, all of it was geared around not the moment that she wasn't there, but the hope that she's coming back. And as a result, I lived differently in the present because I had a future awaiting me with this woman. Friends, if we could just get this, that our hope determines our holiness. And when we understand that we have a future and we have a risen reigning king and savior who is returning, then we will just order our entire lives around the return of him and live in such a way that everyone would go, like, we don't see him. Like, no, he's amazing. He's awesome. Wow. And you live winsome, holy, obedient lives. We live as exiles who possess the living hope that produces holy living. And part of the reason for some is right here is you're in a place where you kind of want it both ways. You want to have that hope out there, but you want to live however you want. It it just doesn't work that way. I can't go like, I have this awesome girlfriend that I'm waiting for, and I'm going to date all these girls here in the meantime. It just doesn't work that way. For some, you're in that tension, and today's a deciding point. Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to make him the hope of my life, or am I going to just continue in my own ways? And I'd just say, how's it working for you? How's it working for you, really? Would you place your hope in him? Reset daily, walk in obedience, and then he says this, love others deeply. Now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Isn't that good? See, I think when we think about holy people, we think about jerks. Right? We, we, we think about the people that make sure everyone else knows they're holier than thou and they're not. That have this judgmental air about them. That are kind of like, better than everyone else? Notice what he said. Now that you've purified yourself, walking in obedience by obeying the truth, 
Why? So that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. See, if my hope isn't set on another person, then my security doesn't rest on whether they accept me or not. If my hope isn't set on my success, my security isn't set on whether I'm successful or not. And I don't go from insecurity to security. If my hope is set on the secure love of Jesus, I get to love everyone freely all the time. That's a good place for an amen. I'm just going to say it by myself. <laughs> love others deeply. That we would be a people that when we embrace this living hope, as we practice it out, people would look and ask and go, wow, what is different about you? It's the way that you love others. Will Williamson said this. I like how he said it. The most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection is not an empty tomb or a well-orchestrated pageant on Easter Sunday, but rather a group of people whose life together is so radically different, so completely changed from the way the world builds a community, that there can be no explanation other than that some decisive, something decisive has happened in history. Peter would say it a little bit later on, we'll get to it, that we are to live in such a way the people around us would actually literally ask us about the hope that we have. When's the last time anybody's asked us about the hope? See, we as followers of Jesus are to be the most hope-filled people in a hopelessly broken world because of the resurrection of Jesus and his work in us, and we are sustained by him, and we have a certain confident future that awaits, so we're not thrown and tossed by the circumstances around us. We get to be agents of love in the middle of it. And she stand and we'll close. This moment, we're going to close in worship. And to do that, I kind of want this moment to be hitting the reset button. Reset your hope daily, we're talking about. At my home, I have an internet router. Many of you, all of you have one, right? And you do what? Sometimes you have to do what? You have to hit reset. I don't really know where the reset button is, so I just unplug it and plug it back in. I'm sure that's wrong. All you tech guys can tell me how to do it better. Friends, I'd argue that many of you need to hit the reset this morning. This is a moment where God wants to meet you, where when you cry out to him, he will respond to you and just go like, man, I, today, I want to set my hope. I'm struggling. I have my hope in this. I have my hope in that. I'm just struggling, and I need you. And I'm going to pray this prayer over you. And my prayer is that this would be a resetting prayer as we continue in worship and that he'll meet you here. And so if you wouldn't mind, if you wouldn't just open your hands just in front of you to receive this. And if you're in that place, you're like, yes, I want to reset my hope today. It's a prayer by Andrew Murray, a famous South African missionary. It says this, he brought me here. It's by his will I am in this straight place or in that difficult place. In that fact, I will rest. He will keep me here in his love and give me the grace to behave as his child. Then he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intended for me to learn. In his good time, he will bring me out again. How and when, only he knows. So let me say, I am here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, for his time. God, I pray in this moment as we worship together, you would do a supernatural work 
in the hearts of each person here that would be that literal reset button, and they would walk out with the full understanding of all that they have in you, certain and founded in hope through your love and resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.